Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. I'm your host, Shelley Craig, Program Director at Faith and Grief. We're a nonprofit that provides grief support programs in person and online through support gatherings, grief workshops, and retreats. Find out more about our programs and this podcast at faithandgrief.org. We hope the stories and interviews you hear provide some comfort and hope on your grief journey. I am thrilled today to introduce you to Roxanne Glazer otherwise known as Super Doodle Girl. Roxanne will have a moment to talk about her own grief experience, but also about how art and yoga has influenced her grieving process. Welcome, Roxanne. How are you doing this morning? I am doing well. I um, got up, did my little morning routine, got a little outside walk before the rain comes, and do my little gratitude journal and um, a little meditation. And that always sets me up for however the day decides to go. Yeah. Well, that's one thing I've appreciated about the classes that you've offered us and mm-hmm. um, just during our conversations, it, you've, you give people a really in, easy way to build some routines and practices that can help them both just in their everyday, but also during, um, as they're journey, journeying on their grief journey, um, so thank you for doing that. And uh, for our listeners who don't know, Roxanne uh, has graciously um, presented several of her uh, drawing classes to some of our participants here at Faith and Grief, and they've just been so well-received, and I've learned so much and used so many things that you've, you've taught us, little techniques, um, because I am a doodler, um, <laughs> have always been a doodler, and when I was younger, I didn't, I'd get in trouble for it because there would be doodling around the edges of my paper, which I now know that let's not doodle. Um, (laughs) And then found out later that doodling is very good for the brain and it is good for the soul too. Um, But you know, when you're a kid, you kind of get, they tell you not to doodle, you know, that they think that's distracting, but you know, I got diagnosed with ADHD as an adult and now it makes so much more sense why I was doodling, because that's how I listened. Um, that's how I did things. And just to let you know, we found this out years ago. We were at the Library of Congress, and we were looking at original documents from the founding fathers. Um, my father used to work for a congressman. He still does, actually. And um, George Washington doodled. Abraham Lincoln doodled. And Thomas Jefferson was like a serious doodle maker. Mm-hmm. And it was great to see these original documents where they had doodled all over them, scratched out stuff, drawn little silly cartoons next to things because I guess they were in a meeting and they were like, I wish this person would stop talking. And speaking of that, tell me how you started your art, how you started to doodle. Well, that was, I feel like so just listening because I was like, oh, I'm over here just going, yes, 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 <laughs> yes. I started... Um, yeah, very similar to you. I can remember like some of my first doodles, um, very young, like maybe six or seven. I can remember getting in trouble in first grade, not so much for a doodle, but for coloring a cow purple Yeah, and putting orange polka dots on it, which I think is a very energetic color scheme, but my teacher did not. And so I grew up in an age where when we had art in school, it was everything was very precise and you were graded on your 
precision Mm. and how well you could cut and glue things. (laughs) And what I know now as an adult is I'm an improviser. Mm. So art was very difficult for me growing up. But what I did love to do was I loved to fold my math worksheets into interesting shapes. <laughs> I loved, uh, this was back when we had book books and we had to cover our books. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a canvas. And so I would turn it into kind of like my work of art until it would be so tattered and you'd have to recover it. But just always writing. And it's interesting now thinking back, I always loved letters and words. And so that's one of the things that I'm probably kind of most known for is I've kind of this mashup of lettering, hand lettering and doodling, Mm -hmm. and just kind of bringing it together in a way. And some people ask me, they're like, oh, your art's so joyful. And actually, you know, as we get into my journey, it was, it was the kind of like, um, it's what I would do in the evenings when my heart was so sad. And sometimes I would tell people there would be tears on my paper, but what you see on social media might be, you know, something very uplifting, inspirational and joyful. And it was really just me talking to myself and it comes out in an art form, you know, so it's kind of like visible self-talk is basically Mm. what it turned into, but I've always been so fascinating. And so then a few years back when the sketch noting became like the thing, uh, I had always been doodling uh, sermons. I have sermon doodles from like 20, I don't know, 2013, 2014. Mm. I have a whole journal of those and I would draw during the sermon and Ricky would whisper to me, uh, they can see you drawing. And I was like, <laughs> I'm taking notes with pictures. So yeah. So it's been kind of a, you know, once you get to a certain age and you can start to see the through line, I see it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, growing up, uh, that's what a church bulletin was for, was doodling through the service. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And I, yeah, I see some, I've seen some really good artwork on those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, I, I have many times had to clean up the bulletins after service and found all kinds of interesting art, which I think is, is great. And I think most uh, houses of worship have something for the kids to do now, but for a long time, especially in our generation, um, you got the bulletin and that little teeny tiny pencil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and that was it. Yeah. You had to time it because that pencil only had so much lead on it. So you couldn't, yes. you couldn't start too fast and too, you know, ambitious. It had to be timed just right, but you could get the other one. But then if you dropped one, oh my oh. goodness. <laughs> and it always would be right in the middle of the silence and everyone would turn around like, what are you yes, doing? Yes. Oh, okay. So yeah. So thanks for asking about that. It is. Um, and oh, the other thing I was going to say, I think it really is a way that I used, you know, in, in the grief journey mm-hmm. to reconnect with not just kind of like the your core, but for me, it was even further back to like that, almost that childlike state of things that really brought me joy and comfort then. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is why I was so drawn to it and why it just was like, I don't know why this works or why it's so resonant with me. But now as I, you know, have been going through this probably about six years now, I'm like, I think that I'm starting to be a little more curious about that. So that's, that's the current theory. We'll see. Well, I love that you talked about that because I think that doodling, the drawing in general 
brings us back to us as kids because all kids will draw. All kids will doodle until they're told they're not good enough. Yes. And then they stop and, or they didn't do it right. Like your purple cow with orange dots. And the thing is, is we can all draw. We, we can all sing. We can all laugh. We can do all these things. It's just at some point, unfortunately, somebody tells you don't do it the way they think you should, or that it's too loud or too this or too that. And you stop. But I'm so glad that you rediscovered it as you were kind of going through your grief journey. Tell me a little bit about that, about kind of rediscovering that. It, yeah, that's what I've been thinking about this a lot. Oh, wait, before we go, I'm going to tag on to your other one and then I'll, yeah. I promise oh, you, yeah. I'll go back on topic. The Whenever I'm working with adults drawing and you know, anytime I say I'm an artist, the first comment back is like, oh, I cannot draw a straight line as if that's our measure for art. And as we, t- we do a little thought experiment, I'm like, think back to before you could read and write, how did you communicate? Hmm. You could speak, you could sing, you had physicality, and I bet you could pick up a, some type of tool to make a mark with and you could communicate. So really drawing is our first language. Yeah. And so if you think back to those things and in the beautiful examples you gave, those things, the art, the music, so many times those are the ones we get to that certain age and someone says something to us and it becomes that paralyzing moment where you start to start that story of I'm not good enough. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so then I think as uh, an adult, you know, the Picasso (laughs) quote of like, he spent his whole life trying to draw like a child again. Um, So yeah, in the grief journey, I was, um, you know, my husband passed away 2015. And then uh, my sister, youngest sister passed away about eight months later. Um, And then this past year we had, uh, you know, during COVID, we had one of our our dearest aunt uh, passed away. And originally with Ricky and Brandy's law, those two losses being so close together, I was unprepared for the, the physicality of it. Mm. You know, I knew my heart would be, it's like the things, you know, I knew my heart would be sad. Um, You know, I knew, you know, the loneliness, things like that. I didn't realize how, just how my body would hurt Mm. and how, (laughs) how much I couldn't remember anything. <laughs> yeah. How many times I would drive to the grocery store and forget why I'd come to the grocery store. You know, so it was this, all of that just kind of compounded. And so many times I would find myself literally lying on the floor, looking at, staring at the ceiling fan, just kind of mesmerized. And so the part of the journey of my healing journey was finding things that could make my body feel better. And so this was something, I I don't know that I consciously, like, it was almost something I intuited Mm -hmm. that, you know, I had a hip that was so tight. I could, you know, a knee, I could barely bend, you know, all these things. And so the act of drawing actually, you know, I would always doodled. And then I took um, an actual calligraphy class. I learned brush lettering. I was like, oh, and so that opened up lots of different things and that, calmed me in the evenings. I started practicing yoga, Mm -hmm. which helped me kind of 
a, a space in the mind and the body feeling a little bit better, uh, you know, and then adding in that daily gratitude. So all of those things came together and they, each one would take a little kind of a lead at some point. And so for a while, it would be the art would be kind of draw my attention. And during the pandemic year, I was in a year long um, principles of design course with a calligrapher. And so, you know, that kind of pulled me in a little bit more. And then, you know, before that I was actually last year as well, I finished my 500 hour yoga certification. And so now I'm very curious and it's all connecting the mind, body, and the heart. Mm. Because when I'm drawing, I just focus on the line and the movement of the pen. So that grounds you in the present. You you can also connect breath with it as well. I've done some kind of uh, drawing meditation styles. And when you do that, then you're helping move your body toward healing. And then your body starts to feel a little bit better and you're like, and then that translates kind of into your mental state as well. And so it's completely on accident, Shelly. How's that? I just started (laughs) doing one thing and I would do another and another. And that's as I started thinking about how those all come together in this past, probably the past four or five months, they've come together in very interesting ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, good accidents happen. So, you know, and, and that's all we can, uh, you know, chalk it up to sometimes other than sometimes I think it's God's way of saying, here's what you need right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show you, but then you're going to have to do something with it. You know, like, I'm just going to say, Hey, here you go. And then, you know, yes. decide, you decide what you want to do with this. And mm-hmm. it's not always apparent until after, like we don't usually we can't see it when it's happening until we see some uh, change, results, uh, outcomes, whatever you want to call it. And then mm-hmm. you go back and you're like, oh, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think our intuition so much is connected to our spirit. You know, it is, it is our, it's our knowing, our truth that we know. And we know mm-hmm. that from, uh, like you said, from a young age, from our core, yeah. it's there and it's been there. We just have to trust it. And sometimes we have to excavate it. Yes. Yeah. We do do have to do that. Yeah. Have yeah. layers and layers and layers on. Well, you call yourself an untrained artist or uh, that. Tell me, tell me, give me a definition of what that is. <laughs> it's, it's kind of self-taught of I, when I am a Baylor graduate and came from a really small town, we didn't have an art teacher, you know, I was just doodling on book covers And my junior year at Baylor, I discovered there are things called art classes. And I was like, (laughs) oh my goodness, look at this. So I talked my way into a couple of them. They didn't let non-art majors in. I was an English lit major Mm -hmm. and fell in love. (laughs) Well, back in those days, if you went home to your parents and are like, hey, I'm a junior, you know, whatever, 15 hours away from graduating and I'm going to change majors. Uh, My dad was like, no, you're not. (laughs) You're going to graduate. So I ended up at Baylor. I took an acrylic painting class and a two-dimensional design class. So foundations for graphic design. And that was all of the formal training that I had. Formal, if you think of like that. So then 
I became increasingly curious about it. I, as I, after I graduated, I taught elementary school and started on Fridays. We had chalk talk in our classroom because we did not have an art teacher. And so I partnered with a couple other teachers and I had chalk talk and we would draw. Uh, another teacher had a, we, we put all the blocks in her room and so they would build and do things. And another teacher had all the musical instruments and her passion was music. So on Friday afternoons, kids could decide where to go. And so that's how every, pretty much every job I've had, I've been like, how can I bring this into it? And so then whatever that context is, then I would develop my skills to be the best I could be at doing that. So anytime I would find a professional development or something about how to draw with kids, I attended that. And I found Mona Brooks work drawing with young children. Anyone who's listening, go look it up. Her process is amazing for even if you're young at heart, do that. And so for years, I said I couldn't draw. And I said, you know, I don't know that that's a true story I'm telling myself. And so I started practicing, um, was able to facilitate bringing in Monarch trainers to our service agency and get other teachers uh, involved in it. And I was like, oh, so I did that. And then I would just keep doing stuff. I made a lot of terrible drawings. I made a lot of horrible looking things. I don't share all of those. Sometimes I do though, because I like to, anytime I'm teaching about or teaching an art workshop, that's kind of around art. I take some of my beginnings because where we can perpetuate a narrative or that might not be true is when we judge our current with someone else's 20 years of doing something. Mm. So I always say, I'm like, no, 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 no. You've been doing this for 15 minutes. I've been doing this for 25 years. So I was just incredibly curious. And I think honestly, it was, Shelly, it goes with, I didn't know what I didn't know. I just kept doing it. And even now, some of the work I've been doing, um, I'll show what I'm doing. And so some of my friends are very highly trained calligraphers and artists. Mm. And so they're always like, Oh, what paint is that? And I'm like, it's some 25 year old, uh, leftover liquid watercolor from when I taught school. And it's some of this and some of it, cause I'm an improviser. And so I just put things together in interesting ways. And if there is something that I can tell now if I need more foundational work in it, I'll find a course or someone who teaches that skill and I'll learn that skill and then incorporate it in. So if it's, um, you know, like my letter forms, sometimes I'm like, man, I need to go back and get some basics of like how these actually are built. And so I'll go and learn that. And then I'm like, oh, and then turn it into however I'm going to use it. Yeah. Speaking of, (laughs) Uh, teaching, um, like I said earlier, you've taught a, a, a few groups for us, and I can't uh, thank you enough for first offering that to us, but also um, you're a great teacher. Um, I'm, I now know why you're such a good teacher, because you started uh, with kids. So, uh, And for those of us adults who've attended your class, we never mm-hmm. felt like you were teaching to kids, but I can see some of those techniques. And, and uh what we've learned in your workshops are so accessible. Like I felt mm-hmm. like I could do that to the point that I've 
continue to use some of those techniques just in my own doodling because it's easy and fun. And I'm going, well, if Roxanne thinks this is cool, then I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> you are very kind. One of, I'm an accidental teacher as well. I, people around me growing up saw it would say, oh, you should be a teacher. And I said, no, 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 no. You know, I'm going to be a trial lawyer, you know, yeah. at one point that I was like, I will not do that. And I, accidentally became a teacher. And then now my passion is to help people. It really is using simple and creative ways to help people heal, get unstuck is how I like to think of it. And I can remember in many different dimensions of my life being stuck. And I think my passion for working with adults comes from an experience I had as a first year teacher (laughs) I don't know if I should tell this story. They're going to be like, oh my goodness, really? I kind of knew how to use the computer. We were just, they were inventing computers. Okay. And we had one in my classroom. I got hired the day before school started, literally like kids were coming the next day and I had to go to mandatory professional development. A friend of mine came and set up my classroom and I met the teacher next door and she came in and said, oh, do you know how to use your computer? And I was kind of like, yeah, I've done some things in college. She said, well, I know all about it. And so I took the printer that was in your room and put it in my room. So if you need to print, just print to my room and you can come in anytime to get whatever you were printing. And I was like, oh, someone just took something away from me because I didn't know how to use my computer very much. So then I would go to a class and I knew so little and the teacher, the instructor didn't know how to connect with me, like would mm-hmm. say, go to your desktop. And I'm like, I don't even know what a desktop is. You've got to help me. Uh, and so I remember that just not knowing and being so terrified that mm-hmm. I need to know this, but I don't know how. And it's kind of like, even some of that in the grief journey of like, there are parts where you'd be terrified and you're like, I don't know how to get out. I don't know what to do, you know? And so, and even in my yoga classes. So now part of what I've realized, uh, is that that's my passion is to help people who think something is beyond them, beyond their, where they are. And it is, in my view, it is the role responsibility of the facilitator of the teacher to meet them where they are. And then to know your content or whatever you're teaching so well that you can guide them. And then once, because once they start going, that's when they start getting unstuck. Yeah. It's, it's so true. I mean, we talk that about that in our workshops and, and our groups about um, in grief, it's just, it's not so much about moving on as much as it is about moving forward. Mm. And that, you know, and, and in grief, it happens so easily. We get stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, we bring so much to our grief, our own uh, backgrounds and experiences. And then grief that experience is so unusual if you haven't gone through it before. And then you're in these places where you do get stuck sometimes and you're like, what do I, I don't even know what to do with that. So after Ricky died and Brandy died, did you experience some of that? Oh goodness. It was, it was, it was so intense, Shelly, honestly, 
because I, uh, Ricky had passed away. And so eight months later when Brandy passed away, I, I was starting to do just little dabbles. I was going to yoga. I was doing my doodles and I was just getting to where, honestly, I could go to the grocery store, remember what I'd gone for and get home and be like, okay, I, you know, and so little bits and doing, and we would all, uh, uh, the mantra of do the next thing, you know, mm-hmm. kind of played in my head. And then when Brandy passed away so unexpectedly, it just sent me back. And the visualization that kind of, I guess a metaphor would be, if you've ever seen a leaf kind of floating along and it gets caught up in one of those little eddies in the water and it just kind of spins, that's kind of what I was, except probably with less motion to where I just, I didn't want to move. Like it hurt to walk. I was in so much physical pain Mm. and absolutely completely stuck. I, you know, isolated myself very much and just, it was really dark. You know, I just, it everything, everything hurt inside and outside. And so, yeah, I have been, and I think that's the thing that I really strive for now in any of my teachings is to hold space for people. Mm because really it ends up being the work you, you do it in, in communion and conjunction with others, right. but it's so internal. And I think from just, and you would know this way more than I do, the people I've talked to, it's like the grief journey is such a universal journey. We're all going to know someone who passes away, right. but right. it's so unique to you, to your family situation, to your support, to your personality, to, to all the things. And so I think that's where I try to share just many different ways, because we don't know what's going to resonate. It, exactly. And even in a situation where you have two losses close together, how you grieve can be very different for each of those people and each of those situations, because it's, it's so relative to your relationship with them where you are at that moment, you know, it, there's just so many things. And that, that to me, I've always said it, it's the weird, one of the weird things about grief because people say, Oh, well, you know, I lost, you know, this person, I know how to do this. And then they're blindsided by just different feelings, different experiences. And then they start to think, well, did I do it? Am I doing it wrong? Is there something wrong? You know, immediately, especially when, like you said, it, it can you have the feelings, but you can mm-hmm. also physically have those feelings. And that, that sometimes you don't get that connection right away, that yes. then it's all happening to, you know, your whole body is involved in grief. It is not just your heart, but, mm-hmm. and your brain has the most control over it. And it's just trying to protect you. It's doing whatever yes. it can to protect yes. you. You know, I love that. I read, um, Oh gosh, I've been, you know, I read probably too many books and stuff, but the idea, the, uh, oh, and it's, I want to say it's Russ Harris's when life hits hard, that idea, our brains are doing exactly as what, as they were designed, mm-hmm. they are designed to keep us alive. And so, you know, in intense grief coming through bereavement losses, you know, 
your brain is like, I'm going to keep you alive. So if that's going to, I'm going to amp up the fear so that it, you know, that's self-protective. So then that journey that starting to move forward is to recognize you're like, okay, now I can start to get up a bit, but your brain's like, oh, I'm going to still do this because you might not be able to do it just yet. And so it's that getting unstuck and regaining kind of that equilibrium, yeah. that balance of it. Yeah. And I think that's where our, our spirit comes in yes. is that it is that calming force to bring mm-hmm. us back to who we are, to bring us in connection mm-hmm. with one another. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a very gradual process. Cause like you said, we tend, it's not unusual in grief for us to retreat a little bit from others um, and retreat also from our connection to uh, God, to the holy, what's out there, because it it just seems so daunting. It seems so far away at times, and it's easier not to try than it is it, to. It can be even at a more pragmatic level, you know, cause I agree everything you said, but adding on of Ricky and I had gone to church together. And so the space we sat on the pew and how close we sat together in service when he was gone, that was too painful to return to mm-hmm. in that space. And that, you know, I was like, okay, that feels really bad, but it's, you know, a common story that I have heard with that and the kind of reconnecting with the spirit. I, that's what I found through yoga, which sounds kind of interesting or some people don't really get that. Cause they think of yoga is like just what your body does. And that's just the physicality of it. But the origins of it were to prepare your body to be able to sit in meditation for hours and so the what has emerged in my practice is that the breath work and the being able to meditate that's where i can listen because mm. before i was like ah, you know sometimes i'd be going and going i'm like well they say god talks to you i'm not hearing him today where is he you know to where and then i'm just like so overwhelmed and overloaded and there's no space for that. And so I think of like that prayer as talking to God, that idea of um, being thankful, thanking him, asking for help. Uh, But then in meditation to sit quietly, to listen. And that has been, I've recently started uh, back at the studio where I teach and I teach a full restorative class, which is about three poses And it is to place your body with the least amount of sensation. It's very deep work. It's very reflective. And so I do a a lot of guided meditations uh, and instructing in breath. And it is one of the most beautiful healing practices that I've ever encountered. And it's so opposite what I thought. I thought if I would just get up and go to boot camp at 4.30 in the morning, which I'm not a morning person, I thought that was going to be the, I was like, oh, no, no, no. Restorative yoga is for me. <laughs> Restore. I love restorative yoga. One, one because I am not athletic anymore. Um, I used to be, but I'm not anymore. Um, but I love the fact that it's slow mm-hmm. and intentional, and just gets you quiet enough 
both both your brain and your body quiet enough that you can have some stillness. And to me, that is so like restorative yoga makes exactly what it says. <laughs> I feel restored after I've been there as much as if I had been in worship or if I'd been, you know, on a retreat or anything like that. It's like a mini, mini retreat. And yeah. it's so focused that you mm-hmm. can focus. And that's something hard for me. So, oh my goodness, that was the, um, the little, uh, the group that I started with. And we have the, um, ladies down here that have gone through uh, grief share. So we meet over at a little office. And so we do our little regular. And then once a month, uh, the yoga studio where I teach, she's allowed us use of the yoga studio. So we do a full restorative, we call it our little yoga field trip. And it is amazing to see the physical change in someone as they come in with wherever their heart is, wherever their body is, and to be able to support them with all the props and to support them with the music, with the readings. And it's amazing. And so, oh gosh, this year we're going to do a, um, a blue Christmas. Oh yeah. Yeah. But we're going to do a candlelight healings class. So I'm going to be able to lead that and super excited. And so then the, uh, the ladies that have been coming are going to help me and we're going to figure out a way to kind of have it. We just want it to feel like a, a nice big hug, you know, that kind of just a couple of weeks before Christmas and we're so far away from my drawing here, but it's all comes together. It's like, whichever way I go, I like, I like to, um, you know, if I'm drawing, I bring in the yoga. <laughs> if we're doing yoga, then we're like breath work, you know, if, so it, it really is. It's all so intertwined. Well, I think your story um, really reflects that for most people in grief, though, it could be one thing that can help you move forward. Many times it's multiple things, multiple practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be people who you have counted on your whole life, and it may introduce you to whole new people that you've never expected to one even know, much less bond with during grief. Um, and so it's not just one thing usually. Um, and we say it all the time. It's really hard to grieve alone, but you do have to work on the inside as much as being in company or community with others as you grieve. Because like you said earlier, so much of what your experience was like was internal, mm-hmm. like stuff that you needed to to be with and uh, sit with and have that space for yourself. And that will, I think if you don't spend the time on that, mm-hmm. it's still there. It will ask for its time again and it's time again. And so that was, you know, is everything, my gosh. The, from the before times, you know, the week when the before times ended and we were in the pandemic times. Right. And so as we moved into that, what became apparent to me is think about all the things that I described that I was using kind of as my coping and my healing, those were all gone. And I already worked at home alone. And, you know, so I was already home office because that's what I do professionally is I help other people do that. But then my yoga was gone. My teaching art and lettering at retreats, those were gone. So then I was like, 
oh my goodness. And so it was an interesting, and this was kind of, it kind of caught me off guard, but then as you know, once I got to that radical acceptance, right, you have to just be like, it is now let's breathe and let's, let's see what we have here. I started walking a lot, walked a ton and it became this, uh, really big internal reset. Mm. And it was kind of like a, Hey, and it was, it's very humbling because sometimes our egos will tell us, Oh, you're fine. You've got this. You're all like, and it was quite a humbling experience to pause and say, okay, be curious what's going on. And then, you know, and I was led into, um, you know, just blessed with like this counselor that I had not known someone recommended, you know, and was able to take that time to do additional work. And it became probably the most profound, like very deep work. Um, because I couldn't go to my acupuncturist either. So it was like all the things were gone. And then eventually, you know, once I kind of like calm, then it was to come back into the yoga practice, the art, the doodling, but not in a teaching capacity, Mm -hmm. but completely, you know, kind of what I was doing for me and the way I did give, uh, give into the kind of the group, um, was I started doing, uh, I would do a, ma- a mandala because yeah. I doodle those. And so as the, you know, when everything just screeched to a halt last year, so my mailing list, I would create one each week that had, uh, you know, the very first one was that uh, <laughs> we can do hard things, right? Yeah. And so I would put those in the mailing list each week. And that was just the one little thing I could do. And then the pictures that came back were just beautiful. People saying, thank you so much. I'm coloring with my kids. Uh, I'm coloring with my parents that we just got out of an assisted living to live, stay at home with us. So it's this, yeah. So it's kind of, I don't know. I think I'm rambling now. So you know, you're great. Yeah. Out, no, no. <laughs> but it was, yeah. Cause it's, and I guess it really is that thing of like, had that, you know, huge pause, not stopped you know, I'm sometimes I'm like, well, what would, would have just gone on? And if maybe later it says, you know, that internal's like, Hey, I need a little more attention. I need a little more, you know, a little work here. Have you been like this layers are on top of this? So it's been really interesting to where now I hold things much. I don't hold things tightly. I'm like, you know, I'm going to say this or do this. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, yeah, we can always paint over it and start again. Right. 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 Well, I think, you know, though it's been a tragic and ridiculously difficult time for so many people during the pandemic, there have been some silver linings. And one of them I think has for many people, they have been given some time and space to mm-hmm. And for some, they've run the other direction, but for some, they've said, you know, hey, I'm finally getting a chance to do these things, mm-hmm. to have some space, maybe pick up a new practice, maybe um, bring something back that they love to do, but they hadn't done in years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had more time with their families. And mm-hmm. um, like you, I home office. So really the day to day didn't feel that different, but just the running and going felt very different. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we were also, uh, 
you know, we met your sister Deanna. And so mm-hmm. out of that, we were able to um, find out about Super Duda Girl and how awesome your classes were. And that wouldn't have happened probably otherwise. I mean, maybe, but, you know, we, we don't know for sure. Um, right. But just having a little more time. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I know for myself, it certainly made me more aware of how busy I was and was all that busy necessary. Mm-hmm. And it's not uncommon in grief, especially at the beginning. We're in that kind of fog of grief when uh, our loved ones first die, what we call it early grief. It, you can't remember things, you can't stuff, but we also get really busy sometimes. And we'll mm-hmm. keep being as busy as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, every the busy stops because everyone stopped calling and coming by and doing that stuff. And then we're there alone with our grief. And, and that's where the tools come in, really. Yeah. In that, it will, and it depends. Like all everything now, the what I think I've learned out of the pandemic is, I use the answer "it depends" so much because, <laughs> and I want to be very aware of everyone's experience is very individual. But that, uh, where were we going with that? Like I got sidetracked, but well, that- well, but it's true. Like everything feels, I don't, I agree. I don't have as tight a grip on things as I did before because I will plan something and I will, and I'll say, well, we're going to do it this way or this way. I'm like, it depends. <laughs> I like our intention is for it to be in person or our intention <laughs> is it to, for it to happen on this date. And I can't a hundred percent. And it's very, it, it's a weird place to be for an ex- Sometimes you have to back it back even further than that. You say, our intention is to gather together yeah. at some place, at some time. <laughs> we'll d- e- e- exactly. Because you really, it, it's very fluid. Uh, and that's, it's in some ways, I guess early on, I had a I, I think I had a, a more narrow perspective. So and I do a monthly newsletter, you know, I had been. And so I was doing the weekly one and just trying to be encouraging and things like that. And then it started to hit me based on kind of my experience. I heard stories because, you know, one of the things they would say is like, oh, if you are on Zoom all day, as soon as you finish your work, just hang out with your family and spend time with your kids. I'm like, eh, if you're by yourself, what do you want? I got to be on Zoom some more. And I'm like, that's not encouraging, you know? And so it really is to kind of be helpful to others, you know, and kind of have that space of like, it's not all the same. You know, I have very close friends that had to continue to work, you know, that Mm -hmm. are first line workers. I have very close teacher friends. I've got some that are just going through just terrible situations this year. You know, I had a friend who's, uh, they don't have enough subs. She has 50 kids in her classroom for all week. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, and I guess hearing that, and I'm the type of person, one of my learnings this past year is I do tend to like sponge to take that all in. Like I can, Mm. I can help every, you know, to where I'm like, no, I'm really trying to hold space to listen. And then to, you know, look around if they ask for help. Uh, And some people have, they're like, Hey, can you just do like individual coaching sessions with me? Or can you do this? Uh, you know, and to just, uh, yeah, resist the urge to try to fix it because, and that's, and I think around, especially grief, 
right? People are uncomfortable when someone's in pain. Yeah. We immediately want to, and it's culturally, it's, you know, the mama effect of like, I'm going to bandage you up and you're going to be ready, you know, to wear that precious gift to just sit with someone Mm -hmm. in those tough times. Man, I still work on that. Sometimes I'm like, but I can fix this. I can fix, no, 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 not my job at this point. I don't know. Is that, am I going into like, no, no, that's totally our philosophy because um, there's no fixing in grief. Um, the person is going to experience it. Uh, we culturally have done a really good job of distancing death and grief so far away from our normal conversations. Um, another small silver lining from the pandemic is we are talking about these things. We're enough, fortunately, so many people have experienced the death of a loved one or know someone who has. And we're all kind of grieving something right now because Mm -hmm. of how different the time has been for many of us. Mm -hmm. Um, We are talking about that, but when people always ask, and I I say this all the time, people always ask me, what should I say? What should I do? And I'm like, there's nothing you can say or nothing you can do to make that person not feel their emotions. I mean, just think of any situation. You can't make Mm -hmm. anybody do anything they don't want to, Um, but you can hold space for them. You can say, I'm here to listen and just show up, mm-hmm. you know, um, they don't expect you to do anything really. I mean, you may see that they need their lawn mode. Okay. <laughs> Offer to do that. You know what? Those small little things that they may have ignored just because they're in that difficult time of grief and it's setting that space, but also if you can make a note to reach out to them periodically and check in with them and especially the people that you think seem to have it all together because uh the have it all together people they're just really really good actors either they've Mm -hmm. convinced themselves the ego has taken over and said hey i'm gonna take care of you or they just don't want to burden other people and so they will say the things that they need to to exit or to not deal with it but so many times when people are are, you know, challenged with what to say and things, just make sure you're there to listen. Oh, yes. And try not to turn it back to you if you can at all possible. It's really hard. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because at that moment, that's not helpful. No. Um, Now, if they happen to have a similar loss to you and they say, how did you get through this? Yes, yes, yes. But they... They ask. Yeah. And we always say, don't work before you're hired. So that offering that just because I know and I, yeah, to hold that with it. Oh my goodness. Yes. And that's, I guess, you know, kind of leading back into, I guess there's so, I guess the kind of unexpectedness of grief. And like you said, like, we don't talk about it. We you know, it's universal, but we don't teach skills to go through. And that's what has been, I think is resonant in the work that I do is even though it's not, you know, I'm not like just grief or that doesn't even sound right, but it's everything I come to. And right now it just seems like there's so much pain and hurting 
And so if there is a tool, a strategy, something that's been helpful to me, if I can place it, you know, out in the space to where someone's like, oh my gosh, that's, I know now why you're always telling people about this. This is quite nice. I'm like, yes, draw circles all over a sheet of paper. And it's very fascinating, isn't it? Yes. You know, playing with watercolor, you're like, oh, if I'm not trying to paint a beautiful landscape and I'm just playing with it, I'm like, it can be quite captivating, you know, to where, and come to, come to it with a playfulness mm-hmm. and an openness and without the judgment to really, it is to have space to kind of play. Yeah. And that's, you know, and anytime I encounter, and people now come up to me or they'll ask, they're like, okay, I, and honestly, Shelly, yes, people that'll say, I, you know, my husband passed away 13 years ago, or I lost a child or this, how, how, how do you do this? You know, to where I firmly believe like the, there are groups like faith and grief, people that do this work that you don't know about until you need to know about, or you right. have right. someone else who knows who tells you about them. And it is, you know, and that's another way of stuckness because you, I've seen people who are like, so kind of stuck in that to where as they tell the story, honestly, I will think, oh my gosh, this must've happened last week and it will be 20 years ago. And it's that the, and not diminishing it because that feeling can be very, very strong and very real. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Grief doesn't have a timeline. Um, We we talk a lot, a lot about that in our class. I mean, there are phases, patterns, whatever you want to call it. Um, We're not really a big five stages of grief folks, because you can have all five stages as it's listed out all at the same time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be extremely overwhelming, but it can ebb and flow, you know, it can change. And, but like you said, sometimes some, uh, our hearts, our brains will, um, hold that story. It'll, mm. uh, encase it in glass and mm-hmm. we know it inside and out. And like mm-hmm. you said, someone can tell their story and you think, Oh my goodness, did this just happen a few days ago? And no, mm-hmm. because that has taught, it is, it's, it has taken a chunk out of the heart and put itself there. And it's not probably going to go anyway because you don't grieve what you don't love. Um, we say that all the time, like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people say, well, you know, I'm grieving what the world was before the pandemic. I'm like, yeah, but you probably loved that yes. norm of yes. this happens and this happens and this happens and this mm-hmm. happens and this is how it's supposed to be. Um, yeah. You know, it's just that way. Yeah. Well, and that is, we were just thinking of that, like just that holding that in interesting work in um, I think it's in the like trauma space, social work of how all of that is like literally stored at the cellular level Mm -hmm. in your body. And that was, you know, as I kind of my journey and how I told you, I started practicing yoga and now when I teach, you know, sometimes new students, I started working with them, they're like, oh, well, look, you can do all that. That's the body you have. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's the body I have today. That's not the body that I dragged into my first yoga class and could just lay on the mat. Okay. Cause that one, 
honestly, I had it in the hip area. It's just, and that's what started making me be curious. So like, what is going on with the mind, the body, the heart and grief just floods it all. Yeah. It's, and yeah, I think, yeah. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but the, the second year, I have friends that are just going into the second year and thought that they were fine because they got through the first year and they're like, Ooh, all is well. And then they're like, Oh my goodness, what's going on here? And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, it, talking about it, it at the cellular level, there's a lot of, of, of science around that, um, that our body does take it in and the body remembers um, it's not uncommon around holidays or anniversaries of the person's death for people to, you know, have a stomach ache or get a migraine or, you know, develop any kind of unusual physical response. And it's because the body's like, oh, this is a time for something that I'm going to have to remember again. So I'm going to remind you in a different way. Um, and it happens. I mean, uh, one of our uh, friends, uh, she's an author, and she said about the year mark every year, it'd be March, which was when her husband died, she would just get a terrible, like, upper respiratory infection and just be, you know, in the bed sick. And about the third year, she realized, wow, this is that time of year. And it was almost like the body said, okay, I need you to slow down so that you can be, you know, ready to remember these times. Mm-hmm. And the, and since you weren't listening to me when I told you other stuff, I'm just going to say, okay, we're going to mm-hmm. make you just not feel good. And I don't know that that happens to everyone, but I hear that message over and over from so many of the people that participate in our groups mm-hmm. that I know there's got to be something there. Um that's so fun. I just connected. Uh, I had a little illness. I'm never, ever sick and had like a 24 hour something. And it was like two days before the anniversary. Thank you for helping me connect those dots. Oh my goodness. Yes, yeah. it really is. So I am infinitely fascinated with what's going on and how we can, you know, uh, as you said, the, the stages, you know, I've gotten very fascinated with that, like post-traumatic growth mm. kind of concept. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, to where I'm like, okay, what? Cause it really is. If you have faith, you know, you're like, and not that, you know, something good always, kind of, you know, the, right, not, right. not the toxic positivity kind of thing, but to, you know, I'm really feeling more connected to what is my purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, what, how do I use the experiences, the talents? Cause I have to, t- the stuff that people are like, how do you plan all the stuff? you? I'm like, I really don't. I'll sit down, have some, and it just happens. And that's, that's when, you know, you're like, okay, something else is going on. Cause it's not just my little peace of mind, just directing it. And I think it's, uh, I guess I'm just going to just hold it as being curious to see, you know, what direction it takes. Yeah. Because that's, 
you know, I don't know. That's the thing. I don't, I don't, I say, I don't know more. I'm like, it depends. I don't really no, know. No. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. And maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. So I try to like, I used to be very, anytime something would happen, I'd immediately categorize it as the best or the worst, of course, just superlatives, only superlatives. And now I'm like, okay, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Let's, let's be present. Let's breathe. Give it a little space. Cause we don't have to react immediately. Always. We don't. And um, I'm so glad you said that because in some of our uh, spiritual practices that we highlight in our workshops, that's one of the things that we're, we encourage is to be curious, Mm -hmm. to give yourself the space and time Mm -hmm. um, because we just, we're, we're way too fast and we rush through everything. And when people say, well, you know, I don't know how to do that. And I said, that's okay. Much like you've said, and I'm so glad you've talked about your practice over and over again. Mm-hmm. It takes practice to do this. You aren't mm-hmm. going to do one yoga session or one meditation session or doodle for 30 minutes and suddenly mm-hmm. everything's going to feel different and better. It, you might have some, you know, nice mm-hmm. little endorphins that kick in, yeah. you know, that's great. But it takes that intentional time over mm-hmm. and over and over again and build it into a practice and not necessarily an event that can help. Mm-hmm. And especially in grief, grief is a long business. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have to build something that will help beyond just those first few months. That is, I love that because, and it's, it's, there's a duality mm-hmm. because you're learning the, the tool, the technique, the skill. That's one part. Mm-hmm. So you practice that. The other part is, the learning to know yourself and trust yourself that you've got this little toolbox you've been filling up with stuff, but to recognize and you're like, okay, I'm going to need this. And like you talked about when the body starts talking to you, you're like, okay, so what, what do we need to do? And so that's one of my other practices. I intentionally create around the anniversaries where I know there will be, you know, some, a little more emotional charge to it. I'll need a little more extra to where I will intentionally plan if it's, you know, I love hiking with my friend, Giovanna. I'm like, okay, Giovanna, we're going to go and hike, you know, and then we'll have lunch or if it's okay, I'm going to schedule the Mahjong group to do this, or I'm going to have a gathering. We're going to, you know, to where it helps. The other thing that comes through these practices is it rebuilds your agency. Mm. Yes. So true. That to start to feel that, because I contrast that from the times where I would just lie on the floor to where, you know, where you can't get out of bed and you're in the beginnings where it's just so, and then that little bit of like, oh, I can do. Mm -hmm. And it's those little, and that's why a lot of the stuff, as you said, that I teach, it's very simple. It taps into your creativity but it also gives you those small wins so that you're like, oh, I had a little success here, a little success here, because what helps us keep going is little successes. Yeah. Oh, I know. In your class, that was my favorite part is I was like, oh, look, I did something. <laughs> right. Oh, and the other part that I was thinking about, why do I teach the way I do? I also, I'm very organized. 
and I like frameworks. I like structure, which many people think is the opposite of being creative because they're like, oh, you must be just as messy as you can be because, you know, creative types are that way. I'm like, not that creative type. So the reason I love structure and I bring that to, you know, my teaching, a lot of my practice, and it comes from an interview I heard from John Cleese. So a little Monty Python for us. I I love John Cleese. And he had a fantastic talk on elements of creativity and how to foster creativity. And one of those is constraints. Hmm. And so if you have constraints, then you're like, oh, what could I do? And so I kind of use that in a different way of structure because I, you know, my gratitude journal, it's not fancy. It's quick. It tells you do this, do this, do this, do this. The last little piece I leave kind of open-ended. If you want to get all fancy, do that, you know, to where for me, the doing it And repeating that and that consistency is what gives you ultimately the growth and the creativity. Yeah. Same thing in my yoga practice. Uh, One of the groups I work with, we do the same. um, We actually do the same class for five or six weeks. So they can start, they can feel that familiarity. They can deepen their poses. They're all, it's a beginner class that we started and I give them their little doodle handout of all their little poses and they love it because then they can explore in that framework. Mm-hmm. They can explore. Oh, I like how my body feels in this one. So yeah, it's that, you know, constraint or framework because the other thing early in grief, what we were talking about, you can't remember what you're going to do. You're yeah. like, huh, <laughs> what? I can't, I can vividly remember not being able to choose a color for a pedicure. Could not choose. Sure. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like texting my friends. I'm like, what about this color? What about this color? You know, like 15 texts. She was like, uh, pick a red or, you know, she's just like, and so that's the other thing that underpins all of my instruction and my teaching is that framework, that support that I got you. I got you right here and you're, you're, you're not, might not hop right out of the nest and fly today, but I got you. We're going to teach you a little bit and then you can go. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's the other piece that I really just, to, and like I said, it, my mission is to help people get unstuck and to move toward healing. Well, Roxanne, thank you so much for all your time today. Um, I, I love talking to you. So it's uh, super easy. Um, uh, I'm, we're going to share uh, uh, com on our website and your grief journal, which I love. Um, it's like you said, super simple. And it's something that anybody can use. And not just specifically for the death of a loved one. It can be in wow. any kind of grief situation where you're you're grieving something, mm-hmm. an event a person, um, a change. Um, so it's something that you can use a lot of different places, but I'm so glad, glad Deanna introduced us and I look forward to working with you in the near future. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the, the time and interest and to be able to share, because like I said, it doesn't take much to get you started and to help on that journey, but it does take a little bit of something, you know, I've tried the nothing that does not work well. <laughs> Would you like to be a podcast producer? Go to faithandgrief.org slash donate and support this podcast 
and the work that Faith and Grief does for those who are grieving.